0: Hello and welcome to Climate Cheesecake. I'm Sankar, an educator and a volunteer with the Herpetological Society of Singapore, a group dedicated to the conservation and study of reptiles and amphibians in our lovely island. Climate Cheesecake is brought to you by the Cheesecake Collective and powered by Artwave Studio. So, Chiyun, what's your what's your favourite animal in the whole world?
1: My favourite animal? Mm. I'd say polar bears. Okay, but locally, maybe nudibranchs, which are... Is it fair to describe them as sea slugs? Kind of, yeah. Yeah, they are, yeah, yeah. yeah, they're very cute.
0: Okay, and uh, what's your least favorite animal?
1: Oh my gosh. Okay, so I hate lizards. Um, your house lizards, most large lizards, anything that looks lizard-like. And there have been points of time in my life where I wonder, like, wouldn't it be great if all lizards... extinct (laughs) i know as a herpetologist i I cannot
0: tell you how offensive that is to me uh we'll look past that Uh, i guess i mean you know like in the last episode right we kind of talked about um the biodiversity crisis and how you know uh, we're losing animals at a rate that is just not sustainable we're losing biodiversity not just animals Mm. at, at this really like unsustainable rate uh but I think it's also an opportunity for us to examine our relationship with some of this biodiversity. Why is it that when we look at a cute furry animal like a polar bear, we're like, oh, that's adorable. But then when we see when you see something like a lizard it makes you lose your goddamn mind. Yeah. Yeah. Why 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 do we have those those relationships with these animals? Just just out of curiosity, how do you feel about like insects, bugs?
1: Oh, bugs are fine. Okay. Yeah.
0: Then then you'll be very happy about our guest for this episode uh, is my good friend, Dr. Sean Yap. Uh, Dr. Sean Yap. <laughs> he's, a, he's a newly minted uh, PhD boy and uh, professional shit stirrer. So uh, Sean, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your
2: research. Hi, okay. So I'm Sean and I did my research on uh, the reproductive evolution and ecology of dung beetles in Singapore and Malaysia. Uh, so I basically looked at yeah, how dumb beetles have sex and how they interact with the environment. Are we allowed to say way? sex?
1: I'm sure you've sort it It's a vulgarity. It's
2: a biological term. <laughs> Life is created through sex. Come on. <laughs> yeah, so like and how that affects the way they speciate, like how new species are formed. <laughs> Uh, it's kind of ironic also because uh, actually most of these yeah. invertebrate species are going extinct faster than new ones are being made Ooh. Yeah. oh
0: right, yeah so that's like I think something we can talk about in today's episode right uh, and, and it's really great that we have Sean because I think in Singapore especially people have uh, this really huge fear. I think no matter where you go in the world, you find people with this huge fear of insects, of, of certain kinds of animals. And I think uh, that applies to some groups, but not others um, in, w- in what you can call like, um, f- furry bias in a way, right? Is uh, that a real term? Well, all terms are made up. Uh, but oh. but I guess this one in particular, I really like it just because it's... Uh, <laughs> it encapsulates like you know how how we treat different groups of animals. Yeah. So like um like if you think of the otters in Singapore, right? Um, otters they more or less have free roam. People are generally quite happy to see them uh, when they come about, and uh, generally people are quite happy to see otters when they come around. But um like if you see like a python, for example, it's generally considered like an interloper in our lives.
1: What's an interloper? Uh
0: like 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 a, like an in, in intruder like it's not uh-huh. supposed to be there. Right? But when when we think about it objectively, both of them are really native biodiversity, right? They are, they're yeah. supposed to be there. Um why do we have that disparity between how we how we perceive one group of animals versus another group of animals? Mm-hmm. Yes. So that, that's that's what we will 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 examine a little bit today. So uh Sean why don't you tell me what charismatic megafauna means? Yeah, the prime example of this will probably be like things like pandas.
1: Yes.
2: Where you know some people the more extreme people argue that pandas are ecologically extinct in the sense that there are so few of them that the role they play in our ecosystem is like basically negligible already. But mm. They are important for conservationists in a sense that they are they make very good poster boys or girls. Yeah. So they are large, cuddly looking. They're cute. The way they behave is like very derpy, right? Yeah. Yeah. So people like them. Uh, they're like flagship for you know WWF and all that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So by looking at these guys, even though you know in terms of ecosystem services, maybe you can't weigh them as equally with other species, but because of how large and charismatic it is by conserving this species, right, and taking efforts to conserve this species, you're conserving a larger area. Because they are large mammals, they need a large territory. So when you conserve mm. this large territory, you conserve everything else that lives in that environment. Mm. So instead of focusing your efforts on all these individual species that live inside that place, you just choose one flagship, you mm. preserve that
0: guy, everyone else gets saved together with it. I think it's also called an umbrella species, right? So mm. you, you, it kind of protects everything in that same habitat. So if I protect the forest where a panda is you know, found. I'm yeah. also protecting all the animals uh, and plants that live in that area as well.
1: Would you say that the term charismatic mm. is very subjective?
0: Oh, absolutely. Like, um, you know, like I'm not a fan of ticks, for example. I don't like those small arachnids that bite into you. I'm. I think they are a, a bane on this earth. But uh, at the same time, I think there are people out there who would uh genuinely be very interested in them. And and for me, my personal interest is in reptiles and amphibians. And I think, you know, snakes oh. in general are very okay, calm down. But like oh. snakes, snakes, lizards, uh, frogs, these are animals that I think are generally very feared in society. But they are actually, to many people, uh quite quite beautiful. And uh, in the same way that a a tiger or a or, or a lion is, is considered to be like majestic, uh, to many people. <laughs> I, I think, so whether charismatic is
2: subjective, right? Yeah. yeah. I think even within the same text I can be. Mm. So like, for example, I work on dung beetles, right? So f- to some people, dung beetles are like, uh, oh, they're small, uh, they're insects and they live in shit, which is quite disgusting to mm. many people. But at the same time in cultures, like, you know, in, like, in Egypt, right? They are like worshipped as like gods of um, reincarnation, for example.
1: Oh. Yeah.
2: Mm. And some people do find the, the, the behavior of rolling the football quite cute, lah,
0: then they fight over the football and all that.
2: Yeah. yeah. Apparently
0: they use the milky way to orient
2: themselves. Yeah, yeah. Is that, is that, is that, all, that, like a lot of people go. think that's super cool also, like stargazing in order to find their way, right, to mm. navigate. Yeah. That's so true. Mm. it really depends. Uh. So even the same organism can be quite polarizing. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's true.
1: Yeah. I also remember was it Wild City that you and a few people did? And I remember I remember there was this one scene of the dung beetle rolling the poop. And I think that was my first memory of like, oh my gosh, this beetle is so cute. And it was, I think the entire series was some bugs, right? Yep, yep. Yeah. And it made me think about how documentaries like this, that document maybe certain creatures that you might not even see in real life. And then you give them a sort of character based on the setting the music or you pinpoint certain uh, i guess traits that they carry out and then you turn them into like oh my gosh this thing is the
0: storytelling yeah the storytelling is
1: fantastic because i remember people were people are still terrified of bees but there are certain bees that are so fluffy and you know there are memes made of this bee that goes into a flower and it gets stuck inside or something. Yeah, I'm like, okay, it can really turn charismatic based on what the media tries to portray of for different sure, animals. Yeah. Yeah. So
2: follow them like yeah, they just slap the, you know, the clumsy circus music on the background, right? And then <laughs> yeah. they have the the animal like. Behaving in a very derpy way, like falling out of a flower, like slow-mo falling out of like, uh, or tumbling on the floor, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. To make them look very like... Relatable. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Like they can fail also,
0: like nature isn't perfect, right? They can like roll around. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, I guess the larger question is why is this a problem? Why should we care that we find some animals attractive, some are ugly, some are scary? Why does it matter, actually?
1: Mm. From the experiences that you both of you have, would you say that if your animal isn't aesthetic enough, you don't get kind of the attention and the funding that, I guess, it deserves? I think
0: that's definitely true for research funding, right, Sean?
2: Yeah, it also depends. I mean, for dumb beetles, there are many ways to justify it, right? Because ecologically, they are very important, right? So it's quite easy to justify why you need to research on them. Yeah. Uh, and then things like mosquitoes and all that, you know, that disease vector. So I guess it's a bit tough. So I know people who like their mosquitoes. And it, but unfortunately, to get funding, they have to demonize the very thing that they they work on. <laughs> mm. yeah,
0: yeah. And it's ironic because like uh, a lot of times, you know, the biodiversity crisis, you know, we what we visibly see is, you know, like um, big animals, birds, mammals all going extinct, charismatic animals going extinct but then the ones that are the hardest hit are very often the most diverse ones to begin with so like uh probably the most diverse animals are your insects right um so uh just like a fun fact and figure uh insects represent one gigaton around one gigaton of carbon stored in the entire like in the entire world, right? Uh, And for comparison, in terms of biomass, humans are 0.06 gigatons of carbon. So like insects, if you put all the insects onto a weighing scale, uh, there would be many, many times more than all the humans on a weighing scale. And just for just like a fun comparison, uh, fun fact, viruses actually comprise about 0.2 gigatons of carbon. So just viruses alone are heavier than uh, all humans and all livestock as well. So the amount of biomass that you find in the very very small um, things around us is actually quite substantial.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah. So it it does actually matter that uh, these animals aren't getting that attention that they deserve, uh, especially in the in the context of like dark extinctions. Yeah. yeah. So dark taxa is uh it, not 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 ducks going extinct. It's...
1: Dark D A R K extinction. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Tell me more.
2: Yeah, dark taxa are, they are—they're are an actual thing. So, usually refers to, uh, species or groups of species that are that usually go unnoticed. Uh. so a large group of these usually para, uh, refers to parasites. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, things like lice and mites. Uh, some of them are actually quite important. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think there was a species of um, was it vulture or condor? Condor. Condor. Yeah. yeah. That was uh, on the brink of extinction. And then they took the few remaining individuals into captivity to try and like make sure they were as healthy as possible. But in that process, they accidentally like kind of like cleansed them a bit too hard, and then so all the endemic uh, mites and lice that lived on them all went extinct.
1: Oh my god!
0: Yeah, yeah. so you're kind of like killing one species to save another. Oh my! <laughs> you <know?
1: laughs>
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. So yeah, a lot of these species also they. Re- uh, remain undescribed. Mm. So even in a small island like Singapore, lots of species or insects are still undescribed.
0: So uh, Sean, maybe for the benefit of the audience, how do you describe a species? Okay. Uh,
2: it's actually a lot more uh, complex than people think. Yeah. It's not like you find something and it's like, oh yeah, this looks different and then we just call it a new so species. So it's not
1: right? like, oh, this beetle is green and a bit smaller than 10 millimetres. Is that how I describe it? It can
2: be. (laughs) It can be. It can be. Okay, so usually what we do is we find a species and we try to find the closest related species that we know of to that species and then we compare, right? And if they have traits that differ, sometimes they differ enough for us to consider them different species. But if you want to go into the biology, it gets a bit complex. But
0: by all accounts, it's a bit subjective. But... It's it's like a 200 year old system, the naming of species that. Yeah, um, all usually, the way to yeah, In biology,
2: we consider species groups of these uh, organisms that are what we call reproductively isolated. Mm. They cannot reproduce to produce viable offspring.
0: Yeah. Uh. yeah so so they're if... distinct units of life. Yes. That's what we consider species. Okay. So the, the thing about dark extinction is sometimes you're losing these species before they're even described in the first place like um we don't even know that they are there and then okay yeah. you know okay. uh so, like, let me i got an example if you want yeah,
2: go ahead yeah so so dumb beetles we have quite a few in singapore right we, from our recent surveys we have like about 20 to 30 known living species left in singapore lah. yeah and out of all these, right there are a few common ones that we know are common because in malaysia they're everywhere but they're extinct from singapore uh, oh. But we know they used to be here because Alfred Russell Wallace collected them in the 1800s and we have records of his collections. But he was only here for a short period of time, right? And we don't know exactly how many he collected and what his collection represents out of the total number of species that used to be here. So good chance is there were a bunch of species that he did not collect or were not recorded but have gone extinct. We just never knew about them.
0: Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so so like, like that snapshot of History is all we have to represent the diversity that theoretically should be present in Singapore.
1: Mm, so, yeah. what's so important about actually documenting these things? It's
0: okay from a conservation perspective. You can't really protect something when you don't know is there. Okay, yeah, like the like the Malay phrase "tak maka tak which means you cannot protect what you don't know. Okay. You know, you cannot love what you don't know. Uh it's it's I think you need the you need to know what diversity there is. There needs to be some level of biodiversity discovery uh in order to understand like like you know, for example, setting conservation priority. How do I prioritize one forest patch uh, over another? Because when you have limited resources, um when it comes to conservation, you need to make decisions like that. And understanding the diversity of uh Forest A versus Forest B can help you make those critical decisions. Of course, that's like an oversimplification, but understanding the diversity that you can find in these places is, I think, very critical.
2: Yeah. Mm. I think this question has like, a very big intersection with like the importance of conservation and finding new species in the first place. Right? And, that, and like the relevance of other species to humans. I know, like, bioprospecting and all that. All the many other maybe practical and also uh, more aspirational reasons for why we want to conserve species. So
1: mm, yeah. That's true.
2: It's like a much bigger discussion really yeah. yeah.
1: So then as an aside, since we have Sean here, I have one question which is, do you think beetles or dung beetles are very misunderstood creatures locally? In mm. the general public, not just within research, but in the general population.
2: I think even before they're misunderstood, I think a lot of people don't even know that they're here yeah so one of the uh, more interesting like comments I get about my research that I wasn't really expecting also is that like people actually don't know that we have dung beetles, which if you think about it, right, we have animals in the forest that then they have to poop right your pigs, your wild pigs, your monkeys, all of them have to poop. There has to be a reason why the forest isn't just covered in poop right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I thought it was the elves like like wow. you just they just show up at night and bring it away. <laughs> yeah the elves are your dumb beetles <laughs> it's a yeah. issue oh uh, but
2: <laughs> even then when people think of dung beetles also they're always associated with the African species which are usually the ones that are portrayed rolling the ball the ones that are like depicted as like you know scarabs with the wings open mm. or like they think of the mummy la, with the flesh-eating beetles I guess
0: yeah mm. yeah We should get Dwayne The Rock Johnson to come here and (laughs) shoot a movie (laughs) VR man
1: (laughs) That's true but in that sense then when people see it have you seen instances where they don't know what it is and they're like oh my gosh beetle and then they kill it
2: Okay, That one doesn't happen so often for dung beetles because usually dung beetles are quite uh, they're very shy, they like. They high underground, and okay. or they're usually in the forest. That happens a lot for slightly more visible insects, things like bees and wasps. Mm. Um, some people actually scale butterflies, also. Yeah,
1: I I can release <laughs> <laughs> as they should be. No. <laughs>
2: yeah. Things like caterpillars. So one, one of the examples that I always bring up in terms of why you should like maybe pause a bit before you smack that insect, right? It's like, so ladybirds, for example, they are considered. Most species are considered beneficial for gardeners because both the adults and the larvae feed on aphids and aphids are the ones that, uh, you know, suck your plant juices and accidentally infect your plant with diseases and all that kind of stuff. Mm. So in terms of pest control, ladybirds are very good. I mean, the adults are cute, but the larvae are not. Okay, Uh, so the larvae look like caterpillars. mm. Yeah, and very often, sometimes uh, gardeners who are not aware, they end up killing the baby ladybirds thinking that they are caterpillars feeding on their plants uh, Mm. when actually they were beneficial.
1: Oh, yeah i mean the reason i bring this up is because aesthetics and i mean if you don't understand something that you see you look at aesthetic first and that influences the way we also react or interact with certain animals right so i see the example of the beetles because i can imagine if i didn't know that dung beetles exist and i see it i'll see as and I see it in my house, for example, somehow it gets lost in my house, let's mm. say, hypothetically. And then I would just be like, oh my gosh, this is a beetle, I'm going to kill it. It's and a... I smack it, you know? Yeah. So in that sense, have you had instances where you think the aesthetic of an animal really does shape the way that we interact with them?
0: For sure. I mean, that happens all the time with snakes, right? Like um, when you have reticulated pythons, they're actually doing a, a net public health good right there yeah. getting rid of rats that are running around in our sewers and running around in our urban areas so the fact that we have reticulated pythons in singapore uh, i mean obviously the one ecosystem benefit that we get from them is that they are getting rid of these rats that actually spread diseases like leptospirosis and um, Angiostrongylus and all those other scary diseases you can give yeah.
2: yourself credit by mentioning some of your own research
0: huh? Yeah, so f- uh, for my final year thesis, I was essentially looking at uh, uh, Python poop and finding out what DNA there it was. A very Is shitty episode. Huh?
1: Everyone looking at poop. <laughs> it important. It's important. It's very
0: important. <laughs> it's yeah. How we learn okay. about things. That so, mean. so yeah, I was essentially looking at the what DNA can be found inside Python poop, uh, and uh, it's mostly rats, la. So they're mostly eating uh, the introduced uh, Norway rats that are that are also the ones that tend to spread a lot of diseases. So they are doing this net public health good, right? Uh, And that's true of many large snakes, like your spitting cobras, uh, uh, your rat snakes, right? As their name would imply. Uh, They're all actually part of this ecosystem as well. But when people encounter them, because we kind of have this association of like, oh, these snakes are evil. They want to eat my babies. um, The way we react to it is also quite uh, violent very
1: often. Mm. Yeah. And most of the time, these snakes probably wander into urban areas unknowingly. Yeah,
0: they're just following the food, right? The rats are in the urban areas. You can't really fault a python for going to those drains and those urban areas where the rats are, because that's where their food is. Um, but how we deal with them, when we deal with them as pests rather than, than actual natural pest control that they are, there's kind of like a imbalance between like what they are and what they are treated as. Mm. Yeah. It's quite
2: yeah. ironic out that like pest control company comes in to remove
0: the natural pest control. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's true. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. true. So uh, maybe to wrap up, what can we do about this whole thing? Like what what is it that generally we can do to improve the perception of these animals?
1: Would you say that the problem is branding rather than the fault of the animal?
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Like I don't think the animal knows what it, Like it doesn't know geopolitical complexities <laughs> things like that right it's just trying to eat a rat I mean a lot of
2: them they start, they start off with like a disadvantage already, mainly because of how they've been incorporated into our culture Right. so things like you know maybe cockroaches for example have always been seen negative like you're brought up with media depicting them in a negative way and like with people reacting negatively to them and so a lot of this um, kind of affects how we uh, see them as we grow up right so um branding as you mentioned <laughs> it's, a, it's not just like the direct media that we come into contact with or it's just even small everyday interactions that like kind of set them back in terms of the impression they have on people yeah yeah, mm. but it is quite important so like what you mentioned earlier about like a positive portrayal of certain behaviours actually does a lot to give personality and to give like a character to um, some of these animals or plants or even fungi and to be seen in a more positive way. It doesn't even have to be uh, good sometimes. Sometimes it can just be cool or interesting. Yeah. So like, people are very fascinated with, for example, for fungi, right? People are fascinated by cordyceps yeah. and the behavior. Because it's very insidious and it's very like, tied with our zombie media. Ah. Yep. They yeah. based
0: uh, the, the, the video game The Last of Us. Yeah, on the yeah. Cordyceps fungus. Yeah, so The
2: Pokemon Paras and Parasect also When Paras evolved to Parasect his eyes turn white because he's been overtaken by the fungus.
1: Oh my gosh. <laughs> Speaking of Pokemon are there a lot of biological references within the game itself? Uh, so
2: many man. <laughs> Whoever designed them probably had some biological background. Huh? I mean the creator himself when he was a kid he used to catch insects as this. Uh, yeah. yeah.
0: And actually in NUS where I work uh, when we teach students how to use dichotomous keys right, to like identify animals we give them a bunch of Pokemon cards and we ask them to construct a dichotomous key using those cards to like show people how to identify those Pokemon. So oh they can God. actually be used as teaching tools even. They are very consistent in that way.
2: Yeah, so like as people who live in cities nowadays, right, we tend to be very removed from nature and so like, you know, there's all these famous studies about how kids recognize more Pokemon characters than they can recognize their native wildlife species and all that kind of thing. But we can bridge that gap because they are so interconnected, right? So by referring to things that they're familiar with, then uh, you kind of allow them to make that connection that they may not previously have had. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So even, it doesn't have to be Pokemon. It like, can be things that are topical, like when, um, you know, Fantastic Beasts was a, was a thing, right? When it came out and like, it was popular. Cringe, bro. Cringe. <laughs> <laughs> things like the, the Niffler and all that that were like based on uh, marsupials, like Echidnas. Yeah. 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 So it's quite... How do you say it's good for bridging that gap law? Yeah.
1: Mm, That's very cool. And I'm because I think about that a lot in that I remember talking to somebody about something like media portrayal of dogs, even where there are a lot of misconceptions on like dogs eating bones when in reality you should not be feeding bones to to dogs or cats. I mean, yeah, because it's dangerous. Mm -hmm. And thinking about things like Pokemon or Fantastic Beasts as material if done scientifically, correct. It can be. It can help to at least amplify creatures that might not be known because they are now done in a way that is popular or at least publicly acceptable. Mm.
2: Yeah. yeah, actually, nowadays also you see a lot of like media, uh coming back to re portray some of these animals. Uh. so like I don't know whether you all saw, was it DreamWorks? There's this movie called what bad guys.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Which was interesting. It's like, I haven't watched it, but... Yeah, know, like, me neither. It's like, but the Suicide Squad, but with a shark of, like, of a oh, snake. pirana, pirana, yeah, yeah. So Tarantula.
2: <laughs> and then the, the, the leading guy is a wolf. La. So these are all animals that are commonly portrayed in negative, lights like, in, like, nursery rhymes and kid stories, right? The wolf is always the bad guy or, like, the car, the boa in yeah. uh, Jungle Book. That kind of thing. Yeah. Like mm. piranhas, always like the um, man eaters and all that kind of thing. So it, yeah. I guess it's an interesting kind of concept where they took all these creatures and tried to make them
0: anti heroes. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Mm.
1: Maybe we'll see the remake of Chichak Man.
0: Yeah, Chichak Man. Oh my
1: god. Yeah. <laughs> and then
0: Tuyen will finally change her mind about. <laughs>
1: <laughs> 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 we'll see.
0: Well, thanks Sean for joining us today. Uh, we had a good, we a, a, a great time. Thank you. Is it raining outside? Oh, nice Okay. Climate Cheesecake is brought to you by The Cheesecake Collective And powered by Artwave Studio You can find us wherever you get your podcasts You can also find us on Instagram At Climate Cheesecake Go follow us To find out more about the references mentioned in this podcast Check out Climate Cheesecake on Instagram And additional links and references can be found On our website Artwave.studio Slash Climate Cheesecake